If you have your Bibles this morning, will you join me in Proverbs chapter number 29? Proverbs chapter number 29. And while you're finding your place there in Proverbs chapter number 29, uh, did you hear the story about the three senior adult ladies uh, that were living together? They were all widows and they rented a house together and they were sitting around the table one morning and they were complaining about getting old and they were just really talking about the frustrations of getting old and Barbara turned and she looked at the other two ladies and she said, ladies, she said, look, I'm just going to tell you, I'm so mad at myself. I am so angry at the fact that uh, the other day I was climbing up the stairs and I stopped halfway up the stairs to catch my breath and I forgot if I was going up or coming down. And then uh, Jean turned and said, well, that ain't nothing. She said, listen to this. She said, the other day I drew a bath and I stepped into the bathtub. I had one foot in, one foot out. And I stopped just a minute to think, and I forgot if I was getting in or getting out. And the other lady, Miss Marge, Marge, said, well, I'm going to tell you what right now. And she said, I don't know what in the world happened to me. She said, just the other day, I walked into my bedroom, and I didn't know uh, what I walked in there for. And, and then Barb turned around, and she said, well, I guess we ought to all just count our blessings. At least we can still drive. <laughs> It's one thing to get angry at ourselves. It's something completely different to get angry at somebody else. Yesterday, I had the wonderful privilege of attending the uh, Alabama football game there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. and We drove to Chambly and took the MARTA from Chambly all the way into Atlanta. And the reason why we did that is because, number one, I didn't want to get on 285 because I knew I was preaching Sunday morning and I didn't want to get triggered. I used my coconut. And so we're standing there at Chambly, and here come the MARTA, uh, our MARTA trains coming in, and, and we got to buy these tickets to get on. So we bought the tickets, and while we're buying the tickets, this vehicle pulls up and rolls down the window. And man, this lady is upset because whoever was supposed to get in the car, they were not getting in the car, and she was letting the whole world know she was angry and upset. Finally, the gentleman that was supposed to be in the car came out from the fence, came out uh, from inside MARTA, and came out. And my stars, she was yelling and screaming and pointing and cussing. And it was just, boy, I thought, my stars, uh, I'm glad that I didn't get on 285. But God, I know I'm right where you want me because this lady's triggered. She was triggered because that gentleman was not doing what she thought he was supposed to be doing at that particular moment in time. And it was a violent, violent verbal argument. Well, we finally uh, got it there into uh, uh, Atlanta and got to Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium and uh, enjoyed the game. But there were a lot of folks that were upset. There were some angry people uh, just because of the situation not working out the way that they thought it was. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but we're living in a pretty angry culture. Man, I see everybody just seems to be on edge. Everybody seems to be upset about it. just the littlest thing sets one off. As a matter of fact, I, I read a story in the, uh, in the newspaper or in the, on the web paper, I guess is what you'd call it, from CBS 46. And on the website, CBS 46, they ran an article on the 18th of August that talked about uh, one brother who shot another brother five times, shot at him five times, didn't hit him, but shot at him five times. And what I found fascinating is the reason why he got mad at his brother. He got angry at his brother because of food. 
Now, it wasn't because they didn't have any food that he got upset with, with him. He got upset with his brother because he was wasting food. Can you imagine? This brother was wasting food, and so the other brother said, Stop wasting food, and the argument ensued. And one brother pulled, another, pulled a gun on the other brother and shot at him five times. Man, I'm telling you what, when uh, you fight like that, there's something wrong. Something is wrong when it comes to the heart, when it comes to this issue of anger and being triggered to the point where you want to kill somebody. Now, uh, we have studied in our study this issue of being triggered. We've already talked about the first uh, topic we talked about is anger in, re in regards to a general sense. And we just basically said that none of us in this room are born angry. You're not born angry. Something triggers that anger. Something happens in your life that you get angry about. And that rests true even still today. And we also said, number two, last time or the very first time we got together, we said none of us in this room, nobody in this room is immune to anger. As a matter of fact, everybody that's watching online, you're, you're not immune to it. We all struggle with this. Not everybody in this room, we said last week, struggles with alcohol. Not everybody in this room struggles with, with pornography. Not everybody struggles with drug addictions. We have some that, that do and have gotten victory over those things. But everybody, 100%, everybody at some point in time struggles with anger. We got upset about something. Yeah. I can remember growing up that, uh, in learning this issue of anger and it being a trigger. We pass on generational anger to others. When I was growing up, I can remember being a little kid, and I, I loved pancakes and milk, and especially chocolate milk. That was one of my favorite things. And I can remember being a little child and sitting there, and there I had my milk. And I don't know if your kids did this, but if my plate's sitting right here, I always put my milk right there beside me. And Dad would always tell me, son, you need to put the milk in front of the plate, not on the side. You're going to spill your milk. Well, I was just a little kid, and I, I was still learning and needed that correction, so I'd, I'd stick it up, but then I'd drink my milk, and I'd put it on the side. Well, you know what eventually happened. By accident, I didn't mean to. I didn't get up that morning and say, I think I'm going to spill my milk today. No, it was an accident. You reach over to get the milk or try to sit the milk down, and what happens? It thumps over and spills all over the place. Now, how do you respond to an accident? I know how my dad responded to an accident. He responds to an accident the same way I responded to an accident. Get upset. You're stupid. I told you not to do that. You, that. That's so foolish. What in the world are you thinking? I told you. Put the milk in front of you. And just get angry about it. Even with an accident. What's sad is we pass that same type of anger down to our children. It wasn't until after I was married and we had children that I realized that this was a problem. James Dobson said it's something vastly different to correct your children and to discipline and correcting them under the uh, sphere or umbrella of anger. Children have a hard time learning when we correct them out of anger. In fact, when we correct our kids out of anger, they learn how to do correction out of anger. And when you correct out of anger, the, the uh, correction doesn't stick. And I found that out the hard way. Miriam and I had a discussion after our children were born about how we're going to respond to accidents. If it's a true accident, we, do with it. we have to respond in the arena of correction. Why? Because if we don't, if we don't correct our children properly in the arena uh, of, of discipline, then we find ourselves passing on to our children what we learned, and that is how to respond out of anger. As a matter of fact, when you look at our culture today, you see what happens when you respond out of anger. Did you know that this is something that's biblical? 
The Bible talks to us about Moses. Moses was a very angry man. In fact, when we think about Moses, we see that there were many things that quickly provoked him to anger. As a matter of fact, the Bible mentions Moses and Moses' anger more than any other person in the Bible. And you think about how God blessed Moses, how God used Moses in an amazing way. But I'm going to tell you what, Moses really was an angry person. As a matter of fact, when you look at the life of Moses, you see that he was angry at Pharaoh. He was angry at his brother Aaron. He was angry at Eleazar. He was angry at Thismar. He was angry at the Israelites. He was angry at his cousin Korah. He was angry at the officers and captain of the armies. He was angry with an Egyptian so much so that he killed that Egyptian and buried him in the sand. At the end of his life, he became so enraged with the Israelites that he struck a rock twice and God said, that's it, you're not going into the promised land. Do you realize that the reason why Moses did not go into the promised land was because of his anger. At the root of his anger was sin. Dear friend, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, Be ye angry and sin not. It's not the anger that's the sin. It's how we respond to that anger is the sin. And when you look at Moses' life, you say, How in the world could a man that was so mildly used by God struggle with so much anger? Well, the Bible tells us, it's very clear. The Bible says, in regards to Moses, when you look at his life, you'll see that that sin of anger was a generational sin. If you study the life of Moses, you see generationally there was anger that was passed down from generation to generation along his family line. He learned how to respond in anger through his ancestors. Now, I don't have time to go back and study all of that, but when you look at that and you see Moses' life and you see what happened and how he responded, you'll notice that it happened with his uh, family, his family's family, his family's family's family, and all the way in the third and the fourth generation. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 11. The Scripture tells us that a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it, in till afterwards. Now, I want you to notice here that the Bible says he doesn't just keep it in forever. He says he keeps it in till afterwards. But the Bible also says that he just doesn't speak his mind. He doesn't blow his stack. He doesn't uh, enrage in the topic that we're talking about here regarding anger and being triggered. The Scripture tells us that he keeps it in until the appropriate time. Dear friend, that's what Moses should have learned. But Moses did not learn that, and it cost him entering into the promised land. Did you know that there are many people that are dying and going to hell because they're angry? And they're angry at God. There are many people that, are, that do not see or acknowledge or feel or understand or receive the blessings of God because they're living their life angry. Do you know there are born-again children of God that say that they love God with all their heart? They go to Sunday school. They come to worship. They'll go to visitation. They will be one of the, some of the most faithful believers that you'll ever see. And the bottom line, they're living inside with eternal anger that's absolutely ripping them apart. Dear friend, I want to submit to you today that we've got to get this anger under control. And the reason why we've got to get it under control, because in Proverbs chapter 22, in verses 24 and 25, there are two very important principles found in those two verses that communicate the curses that occur when you're angry. Let me show them to you if I could. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. 
lest you learn his ways and get a snare for your soul. Now let's look at it one more time once again and notice what the scripture says. The Bible says, make no friendship with an angry man. Because if you do, you will learn his ways, the Bible says. And the Bible says it will also be a snare, not for your mind, not for your heart, not for your body. It'll be a snare for your soul. And he says more emphatically in the text, do not, whatever you do, do not go with a furious individual. That is a hot-tempered individual. Dear friend, here is a passage of Scripture that says when you associate with a person that has a hot, violent temper, there are going to be two things that occur, and you've got to mark it down because these occur every time. Number one, the Bible says you will learn his ways. If you have friendship, if you would associate with angry individuals, you will learn their ways. You think about it today. You can't cut on a radio station today, whether it's country music, whether it's hip-hop music, rap music. I'm telling you what, 99% of it is violent. And you can't associate with that and it not affect you. My... Uh, Biology teacher said, she said, these are gates. She said, you got your ear gates and your eye gates. And she said, you got to be careful with what goes in the ear gates and the eye gates because that goes down into your heart. And whatever goes into the ear gates and eye gates eventually is going to come out through the mouth. And you've got to be careful with what goes in these ear gates. Dear friend, we're living in a day today where even commercials today, I saw a commercial on the, on the television just the other day. Uh, there was a couple in a car and they were playing a, a, a song on the radio. And, and the husband turns and said, are you going to listen to that song with the kids in the car? Uh, dear friend, we are living in a day where everybody is so angry. And we want to be friends with, the, with an angry world and a hot-tempered world. And I'm telling you, if you do, the Bible says two things. You'll learn their ways. And number two, it'll be a snare to your soul. Hey. Now, if you have your lipstick, pencil, pen, or mascara, I would underline that word snare. Why? Because that word snare is where we get our English word noose. Noose. It is a trapping term in the Old Testament. And that trapping term is having a noose on the ground where they catch birds, they catch uh, small animals, small critters. And according to this passage of Scripture, when you associate with an angry individual, then you create a noose and it doesn't go around your neck, it doesn't go around your head, it doesn't go around your heart, it doesn't go around your body, it goes around your soul. It affects you in your soul. As a matter of fact, that word soul, soul there, if you would, that affects your soul has to deal with your breath. What he's saying here is you can get so angry and associate with someone that it will choke the life out of you. And dear brothers and sisters, I don't want anybody here to get the life choked out of them because they can't control their anger. We're living here in 2019, and we have got to know, how do you break the generational sin of anger? Because many of us have learned it from our uh, parents and our family. And down through the generations, we have had the hard experience of learning how not to handle things. And so this morning, I want to give you four things you can do today to break the generational sin of anger. If Moses would have applied these four simple principles today, he would have got victory and exercised self-control. 
Dear friend, you can exercise self-control this morning by practicing these four things. I want to give you four words this morning. And gentlemen, I'm getting a ringing up here every time I, I stop speaking. So if you could help me with that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Number one, the first, thing, first word I want you to see is the word remember. The word remember. It's vitally important that if we're going to get our anger under control that we remember the Scriptures. According to the Bible, the Bible is life. The life is truth. The Bible is the Word of God. And the Bible is good for correction. It's good for instruction. It's good for reproof. It's good for us to apply it in our life. And if we want to get control over our anger, we need to remember what the Scripture says. As a matter of fact, it would be good to make a list about the passages of Scripture that deal with anger or that can apply to anger that can help us in our walk with Jesus Christ. Scriptures like, if you would, James chapter 1, verse 19, where the Bible says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. According to the Word of God, the Bible says that each one of us need to be swift to hear. I love how he uses that term, swift, first. And then he gives you two more examples to be slow at. He says you need to be slow in regards to speaking and slow in regards to being angry. Now, I want you to remember it's not wrong to be angry. It's how we respond to that anger. And he's speaking here in the context of wrath. Meaning that when you are angry and you let that anger bottle up inside you to the point where you just explode on the people you love the most. And that's in, that, that is who you end up hurting the most is those individuals you love. And James says we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Never forget Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 where it says, uh, Be ye angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then verse 27, Neither give place to the devil. When is the easiest time to give place to the devil? When you're angry. And that word give place means to yield ground. To give up ground, to surrender ground to the devil. Oh, dear friend, don't surrender any ground to the devil. The principle that we have here in this passage of Scripture is that a growing Christian should possess an attitude of keeping their ears open to God's Word and their hearts set upon God, and in doing so, remembering what the Scripture says. Can I ask you a question? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were more hungry for the Word of God than you are today? Could it, be, could it be that you've allowed anger to creep into your life to the point where you enjoy getting angry more than you enjoy reading the Word of God? God. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe the reason why the Bible seems so dry to you is because God's trying to get you to deal with your anger. James chapter 1, the Bible tells us here uh, in this text, in James chapter 1 verse 19, he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Number two, let me show you a second passage. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20. The scripture says this. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There's more hope of a fool than for him. The Bible speaks about us having hasty words. If we're an angry individual, we need to remember what the Scripture says in regards to being hasty in our words, jumping on our words quickly. When the Bible says, don't be swift to, to speak, be slow to speak. And upon being slow to speak, think about what you're going to say before you say it. Because if you just blurt it out with no filter, you're going to get in trouble. The Bible tells us again in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28, the Bible says, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer 
but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. The Bible says in this area, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28, without any previous thought or consideration, without any fear of the Lord or wit or any balance whatsoever, we become a fountain of bitter water and we produce, if you would, out of that an angry statement, an angry sense, an angry aura, if you would, where we communicate hate instead of communicating love. If we want to control our anger that's been passed down from generation to generation, the first thing we've got to do is remember the Scriptures. And according to the Word of God, the Bible tells us that we are to be slow when it comes to this issue of getting angry. Number two, the second thing I want to show you in the text, in the Bible, I want to show you a second word, and that's the word repent. Repent. If you want to control the generational sin of anger, not only will you remember the Scriptures, but then you'll repent of your sins. Dear friend, you must realize that there is a problem here. We've got a problem, and we need to repent to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Psalms chapter 32, verse 5 says this, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. This is a beautiful illustration of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. For in this text, the Bible tells us here that he has acknowledged his sin before the, the Lord. The word acknowledge there means to be revealed, to be made known, to know it. It, it. it simply means this. You know I have an anger problem. I know I have an anger problem. And instead of us hiding it, we're just going to come right out and say it. I admit I have an anger problem. That's what, the, that's what this proverb means. This individual is admitting I've got a problem. In the context that we're using here, we're using anger. I have acknowledged that I've got an anger problem. That's first and foremost. Dear friend, I'm telling you what. If you want to get control over the generational sin of anger, the first thing you must do is acknowledge that you have an anger problem. Yes, I've got a problem with anger acknowledge that that's the very first step and then he goes on to say here in the text he says I acknowledge my sin unto thee and my iniquity now that word sin there if you've got your pens I'd underline that word sin I acknowledge my sin that word sin there means dealing with the guilt that I have inside associated with the anger he says I acknowledge that unto you I acknowledge that I am guilty as having a problem and then he goes on to say this and he says, I, and, and my iniquity I have not hid. That word iniquity is talking about depravity. He's just simply saying this. I've got a problem with my anger, and I admit that to you, God, and I don't know what to do about it. I'm depraved. I can't do anything to get this under control. I am confessing this to you. And that word confess there means the same thing, to say the same thing about what God says about it. He says, I'm, I'm saying the same thing about my anger that you say about it. And what did God say about anger? Think about Moses again. He didn't even let Moses into the promised land because he was angry. And that anger provoked him to sin. If you're an angry individual and you don't acknowledge it, if you don't confess it before the Lord, then you'll walk around this earth, and I'm telling you what, you'll be the most cantankerous individual you ever met, lips sticking out, saying, man, God, God, and how contrary is this? God's so good, he's so good, he's so good. I wish he'd work more for me. I wish he'd do this, I wish he'd do that. No, God's blessings are new every day. 
And because they're new every day, you don't have to be some Billy Downcast. You need to be up and rejoicing. God's given us a new day. Thank God our toes are wiggling today. Let's move forward in victory for Jesus' sake. Well, you can't do it because I'm angry. He says, confess that to God. Say the same thing about your anger that God says. And then he says this. Look at what he says there in the text. He says, I have acknowledged. I've said the same thing about my sin to you. And I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. He says, and my iniquity there, my depravity has been laid before me. I know that I'm depraved. I have not hid that. He says, I will confess. I'm going to say the same thing about my transgressions that you say. The word transgression there means that it was been against God. My sin is against God and God alone. It's the same thing that happened to David when David there sinned with Bathsheba. And he realizes what he's done. He says, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. It's between me and you that I've sinned. And I need to get that right with you. Dear friend, if you've got an anger issue, if you're going to repent, you've got to confess that to God, not to the preacher, not to the counselor. I'm look, I'm going to be honest with you. You can do every principle on this planet. You can write that person that you're mad at a note and all this and put it in the fire and burn it. But I'm telling you, you're still going to be angry unless you get right with God. That's the first step. Get right with God. Because if you try to get right with somebody else before you get right with God and you don't see your own sin, getting right with somebody else isn't going to matter. You'll you'll walk away and it'll just probably be inflamed again. But when you get right with God and you see yourself who you, as who you are, a sinner that needs you, that needs God, that needs Jesus, and you get right with him and repent. Now, remember what repentance is. Repentance is not doing a 360. Let's say that this guitar is sin, and I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to repent from my sin. And what it is is just simply this. I'm not doing a 360 because if I do a 360, what happened? I just turn right back to my sin. That's not repentance. Repentance is doing a 180 and going away from it, going the other direction, going towards somewhere else. And God says you need to repent of the sin of anger and go back to God. Acts chapter 8, verse 22. uh, We see a very interesting scenario. Simon is wanting to buy the Holy Spirit. He sees the, I mean, the Holy Spirit's doing a great, tremendous work, and he wants to buy it. So he tells Peter, he says, hey, Peter, I'm going to buy Here's some money. Give me some of that what you got. You, you can't buy it. Bless God, it's free. And you get it when you get saved. And so he says there, he, I love what, what Peter says. Peter says, you can't buy this. You can't buy it. And he rebukes him. He says, your money's not going to be any good. And he says this in verse number 22. He says, repent... Therefore of thy wickedness, and pray if perhaps that uh, through thine heart may be forgiven thee. He tells Simon what he needs to do in order to get right with God. He says, repent, that is to change your mind and agree with God that you're a sinner and you need Jesus. And he says, and this evil that's before God, what was the evil that was before him? The sin, him wanting to buy religion. You can't buy, this is what concerns me so with some of these other religions that are out there today. They want you to give penance. They want you to pay in order to receive forgiveness. You can't do it. He told Simon, you can't pay for this. It is a free gift for everybody, but you've got to come with the right heart. You've got to come with a heart of faith. Repent. 
And then 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, of course, we see that. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Simply put here in John chapter 1, verse 9, this is a passage of Scripture that's for born-again children of God. It's for us. We use it when we lead somebody to Jesus, but I'm telling you, it's for born-again children of God. The context of this verse is written to Christians. It says, man, you live in this dirty world, and I'm telling you, watch the truth. If you're not careful, this dirt's going to get on you. And you don't believe me, let's use a physical illustration. You take your shoes off right now, and you walk outside and walk around the church property. Just because you're on the church property don't mean your feet's going to get dirty. They will, I promise. We got, to the, we got to the stadium yesterday, and my stars, the line was forevermore trying to get into that place. And we're standing there and got all these red shirt Alabama I mean, they took over. I mean, they took over. They, they're there, and I, I'm standing in line uh, with them, and I got my red shirt on and my cap on. And right over to my left, some guy showed up in a blue Auburn T-shirt. I thought to myself, man, he got a death wish. I ignored it. I just stand, stood in line. I got my kids there. My little boys are there. I'm there with Brother Jeff Holloway. We're, we're, we're excited about this opportunity that we've got to spend some time together and watch this football game. And then I heard it. It came from behind. What in the world is he doing here? Look at that shirt he's wearing. What's wrong with him? Why is he here? What's going on? There's no doubt the man married. Obviously, he married a, a, an Alabama fan. what happened. And he got up just obstinate this, that morning. And he said, I'm, God, I'm going to wear this shirt. You know, and I don't understand. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked, but I don't understand all that. <laughs> but what's going on behind me is fascinating. One complaint spills over to another person, to another person. And by the time it's all over, I'm looking over my shoulder going, my stars, we better hurry up and get inside. This guy better find a bathroom. They're going to kill him right here in front of God and everybody. With such anger, it's a football game for heaven's sakes. We'll go in here and have a good time. And we want to complain about this or that and the other. The Bible says, listen, we need to love one another. Thank God everybody's not an Alabama fan. Thank God everybody's not like me. Thank God everybody's not like you. Thank God he created us individually. Let's love one another like so. The one thing people need more than anything is Jesus. We need to repent of our anger. Our story about a little boy who had a bad temper and his father went to him. He said, son, he says, I won't help you with your anger. And he gave him a bag of nails, and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take this bag of nails, and every day that you're angry, I want you to go over to the fence post, and I want you to nail a nail in the fence post. So that first day, he went out to the fence post about five times. The second day, he went about three times. The third day, he went about two times. By the end of the week, he had been over to the, to the uh, post about 20 times. He went back to his dad and said, Dad, he said, I've been to the post. I have 20 nails in the post. He said, I see, son. He said, you just keep putting them in there until, you're not, until you have one day where you're not angry. Well, finally, he went over and he put a nail in there. And then he had a day where he didn't have any anger. And he went to his dad. He said, Dad, he said, listen, I, I had a, a breakthrough today. I, I went through the whole day. I didn't get angry one time. 
And the dad said, really? He said, yes. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to take your hammer, and every day that you're not angry, I want you to go pull the nail out. He said, really? I said, he said, yeah. He said, okay, Dad. So the next day, he didn't get angry one time. He went and he pulled the nail out. The second day, the third day, the fourth day. And then there was a pattern of him being happy and not being angry. He went to his dad and he had this handful of nails. He said, Dad, he said, I did it. I went all these days without being angry. I got all the nails out of the post. And the dad said, I want to show you something, son. He said, come with me. He walked over to the post. He said, now I want you to look at the post that you were working on. What do you see? He says, I see all those holes that the nails were in. He said, yeah. He said, you see, when we're angry, we make holes in other people's lives. And we can get right with them. We can pull those nails out. But those scars are always going to be there. He said, son, it's vitally important to understand that the anger that you have, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody else. Dear friend, maybe you're here today because you've got some scars. You're hurt. Somebody got angry with you. And they hurt you bad. Don't lock yourself in your own personal prison when you've got the key to get out. Don't be locked behind those bars because somebody's angry at you. Don't be locked behind those bars because you're angry at them. Repent and get right with God. Can I give you a third word very quickly? Remember, we're trying to get a hold on this generational anger. We're going to remember. We're going to repent. Number three, we're going to remove. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean remove yourself from the situation. Again, Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Remove yourself from the situation. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says this, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The word lust there is not dealing in respect, if you would, in the context that I'm preaching, in regards to this issue of pornography or pornania. He's speaking here in the context that we're looking at today, in the arena of anger. Don't let the lust of anger fill you. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be angry and sin not. Communicate truth to others. Remove yourself from the situation. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupt good manners. Dear friend, you better watch who you hang around with. If, what did dad used to say? If you're going to lay with dogs, you're going to get fleas. So, man, that's important today for you and I. He says we need to remove ourselves. And then here's the fourth word, and I'm out of time. I, I got to wrap this up. The fourth word I want to give you is the word repair. Please don't miss this. This is so vitally important. If we want to get away from the generational anger that's been passed down from generation to generation, just like Moses, then we've got to remember the Scriptures. We've got to repent to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Remove ourselves from the situation. And number four, repair the relationship with others. Repair the relationship with others. Remember those holes that we've got in other people's lives? 
We need to try to repair them. That's a difficult thing to do. And if you're going to do that, there are some key things that you've got to do. Number one, if you're going to make your relationship right, you've got to ask the right question. You've got to ask the right question. The question is, is, is not who angered you. That's not, the, that's not the question. The question is, what happened to me that made me angry? You know, a lot of times we want to get angry at the person. I'm going to be honest with you. The person's not the enemy. The enemy's the devil. And you take this for an example. If the devil could get between a husband and a wife, if he could get between those spouses, if he could get in between your relationship with the one that you made a covenant between you and God with, if he can get in the middle of that, he will make you think that your spouse is the enemy. There have been many divorces over the course of, of this history of the United States that have occurred because they've let the devil get in the mix and they exercise anger instead of forgiveness. We've got to ask the right question. What happened to make me so angry? And then number two, we've got to achieve the right action. We've got to achieve the right action. The right action is not blowing up. You know, a lot of people like to receive information, and they'll just seethe on it, man. It'll just be in there, and it'll just fester and fester and fester and fester until what happens? Boom! We blow up, and we hurt the person we love the most. That doesn't achieve anything. Nobody wins in that situation. So, bless God, I felt better. I got it off my chest. And then you turn around and realize you're all alone. Why? Because nobody wants to be with you. Nobody wants you. And what you thought was the right action didn't do anything but hurt the people around you. The only proper way to be angry and sin not is to use use your natural energy to work on your problem. Number three, we got to apply the right purpose. Apply the right purpose. Being angry without cause is not right. Neither is saying cruel and hurtful things in regards to trying to achieve forgiveness. Why, why are you wanting to get right? Uh, here's what I found. I found when somebody is angry at somebody, and I said, man, I'm going to be honest with you. Are you right with God? And they say, yeah. I said, well, then you've got to get right with that person. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. I'm telling you, it happens. They'll come to an individual, and they'll say something like this. They'll go, Sammy, I'm so sorry. I want you to forgive me. That's what they say. That is not how you ask for forgiveness. You're telling them what you want. Of course you want forgiveness. Why why on earth would you not want anything but forgiveness? But that does not achieve it. Because that person does not want the scab to be ripped off. You ever had a scab there on and, and it's just not quite healed yet? And, but you're tired of it being there and so you just kind of scratch it off and then what happens? Man, that thing hurts, it bleeds, and it takes twice as long for that thing to heal. Why? Because you walked up to somebody spiritually and said, I want you to forgive me. That's not how you get forgiveness. This is how you get forgiveness. Sammy, I'm sorry I hurt you. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for cussing you out and hurting you the way that I did? I, man, I've been under conviction about that. Will you forgive me? You see, when you pose forgiveness in the form of a question, now he's got a responsibility. He can either say yes or he can say no. But watch this. Mark, regardless of what he says, I've been set free. Because I asked. I didn't tell him to forgive me. I ask him to forgive. And so a lot, a lot of times we wonder, why am I not getting the victory over this thing? Man, I, I asked them to forgive me. And really the bottom line is you didn't, ask, you didn't ask to be forgiven. 
You told somebody to forgive you. And, and that doesn't do anything for the relationship. Right. So, well, bless God, they're ignoring me. Well, did you tell them to forgive you or did you ask them to forgive you? We have got to apply the right purpose. Uh, I, 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 and if you don't know my testimony, I, I want to encourage you to get a copy of my testimony. It's out there at the Welcome uh, Center. But when I went to my family and when I asked them to forgive me, this is the, what I got back, Marty. Every time I got back, why, why are you asking us to forgive you? We're the one that wronged you. And you're asking us to forgive you, Shane? Why are you doing this? Because I hated you. And if I believe what this book says, if I believe what this says about hatred, it says it's like I'm committing murder. And you may have lied to me, but I wanted you dead. And I'm convicted about that. And so I'm asking you, will you forgive me for hating you? To which they would say, yes, yes. And the reason why I wanted forgiveness was for my hatred. Not for them, but for me. Apply the right purpose. Go, go, go to the next one. Watch this one right here. Articulate the right words. Again, when you point the finger and say, I want you, that's not the right words. If you can't articulate the right words, you're, not only, you're only going to fester, fester the anger. Number five, watch this. Allow time to listen. When I asked my family to forgive me, Donna, they wanted to tell me, Will you please forgive me for lying? You asked so many questions and we didn't tell you. We're sorry. Will you forgive us? Yes, I will. Now, I wish I could say it happens like that all the time. But you might have somebody that after you ask them to forgive you and you articulate the right words, will you forgive me? And they blow up on you. Again, you remember it's not for them, it's for you. You've got to give them time to listen. And then watch this. Here's the last one, number six. After you listen to them, you apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody. There's been only one perfect human on this planet, and his name was Jesus. And the only man-made thing in heaven is the nail scars in his hands. And you think about what put him on the cross. Was there anger involved? Yes, but what was the root cause? Sin. Sin and anger are closely associated with one another. That's why Jesus said in, uh, through Paul when he said, Be angry and sin not. There are some things we need to be righteously indignant about. I'm going to deal with that next week. But in regards to today, if you don't get your generational sin of anger under control, I had to. I had to. I promise. If you don't get it under control, you'll be triggered for anger for the rest of your life. And what we need more than anything is we need to show a world that we can be angry and yet stay in control. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. I'm going to tell you what, if you want to get your anger under control, the first 
thing you've got to do is you've got to deal with your spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. These principles that I gave you right there at the end, they mean nothing to somebody that don't know Christ. Your first thing is you've got to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, maybe you're here and maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. I want to ask you this morning, Will you pause, look into your heart, and ask yourself this question? If I died today, would I go to heaven or would I go to hell? Think about it just for a second. Would I go to heaven or would I go to hell? When you answer that question, here's what you come back with. Yes, I know that I'm going to heaven. There's one answer. Or, here might be another answer. I hope so. I think so. Maybe. No. All of those answers right there are the same. According to the Bible, the Bible says you can know. And if you're going to know, the question then is, how do you know? The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, dear friend, if you'd like to be saved this morning, I'm going to ask you to do what the Bible says, right where you're sitting. Would you say this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning, I give you my sin. I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name.